0: And welcome to Southern Middle Tennessee Today on WKOM and WKRM Radio, your hometown news broadcasting from Columbia, Tennessee. I'm your host, Tom Price. Today is Tuesday, October 17th, and we start with local news. Two juveniles have been arrested and charged with terroristic threats following a disturbing social media post which showed an image of multiple firearms with threats of targeting Columbia Central High School, Murray County Sheriff Bucky Rowland confirmed in a statement on Monday. At approximately 10.15 p.m. on Sunday, October 15th, the Sheriff's Department announced they had identified and located the two individuals responsible for the post, which had been circulated online. Because they are juveniles, their names were not released. Thanks to the quick work of our patrol division, we were able to identify and locate the two individuals that are responsible for the social media post. They have been taken into custody, Murray County Sheriff's Department said. Murray County Public Schools Communications Director Jack Cobb said the district is thankful that the individuals were located. We're thankful that the Murray County Sheriff's Department was able to uncover who was behind it and all the students are safe. Cobb said in a statement. This is not the first time Columbia Central High School has received threats. In May, the school went on lockdown after a call came in reporting an active shooter at the facility, which proved to be a hoax. The Tennessee Bureau of Investigation and the Columbia Police Department said they that call appeared to be part of a pattern of calls taking place across the state. International United Auto Workers President Sean Fain didn't announce any new strikes taking place on Friday, including the largest General Motors plant in North America in Spring Hill, but said a new strategy will be implemented. That strategy could mean an unannounced walkout in Spring Hill in the coming weeks. A surprise call to strike in Kentucky highlighted the fourth week of the UAW strike, and during the Friday livestream update, Fain said going forward, this surprise action would be the new normal. We are entering a new phase of this fight, and it demands a new approach. We are done waiting until Friday's to announce the expansion of our strike, he told tens of thousands of viewers across YouTube, Facebook, and X. Fain spoke of General Motors, Ford, and Stellantis becoming complacent in negotiations, waiting until the Friday livestream update to bring credible deals to the negotiation table. Ford has already stiffened its bargaining capacity after raising wages up to 23%, according to the Detroit Free Press. Going forward, little forewarning will come before a plant goes on strike, Fane said. Not just Fridays, not just Ford, he said. Spring Hill's UAW local 1853 president John Rutherford said the climate locally has been one of anticipation, but no action will be taken immediately. Fane's Friday announcement means Spring Hill could join the fight at any time, Rutherford said. On September 22nd, Fain told members of the UAW and the Spring Hill plant, GM's largest plant in North America, to wait to join the stand-up and strike strike. But in his messages since, Spring Hill has not been specifically mentioned. It sounds like he's done playing the slow game and ready to ramp things up, Rutherford said. It can be any day now, any plant. It's nice to see the men and women up north are playing chess instead of checkers now, he said. It will be a roller coaster every day instead of just on Fridays now. I'm hoping we can get a little heads up so we can get the word out there if it were to happen, he said. Rutherford added that while the Spring Hill plant is yet to be called onto the strike, many of the local members have pitched in to visit the picket lines in areas like Memphis, which shut down during the strike's second week. We've got plans in motion to bring a group to go support Kentucky this week or next weekend, Rutherford said. The Kentucky plan is one of the largest with more than 9,200 workers, and so they can use all the help they can get, he said. UAW benefits representative Mike Miller, who has experience in many UAW strikes during his career, called the latest one one of the most unique of them all, but I kind of like that it's that way, he said. This has been a very unique way of negotiating, and I like the way President Fain is going with it, and I believe he's going to get us a good contract. That's what we are all waiting on, Miller said. My family is a GM family, and everything we do in the UAW is all intertwined. I thought we would go the first week, he said. A strike has been much speculated in Spring Hill after a reported 25,000 auto workers of the union's 150,000 members took up signs officially walking out of GM, Ford, and Stellantis plants across 21 states in the last month. More than 3,000 United Auto Workers members are employed at the Spring Hill plant and are producing hundreds of vehicles per day under an expired contract. It has been a month since workers across 21 states and 42 General Motors Ford and Slanted facilities are on the picket lines, striking for a better contract. After the first week of the strike, 38 plants were called to join the strike in week two. Fain called for workers at the Ford Assembly plant in Chicago and GM's Lansing Delta Township plant to walk out. And on Wednesday night, Ford's Kentucky truck plant in Louisville, with an estimated 9,000 more workers, joined the picket lines. Fain asked all UAW members and supporters to find one of many UAW strike lines on Saturday to picket and offer support for their fight. We are here to address decades of unfair treatment of auto workers, Fain said. Bring them food, music, and solidarity. During Friday morning's livestream, Fain also addressed criticism for raising UAW members' expectations. Our broken economy is what's raising our members' expectations. Our members are right to be angry. Corporate America rebounded after the Great Recession, he said. Meanwhile, the working class has kept going backwards. Yesterday morning, the Miracle League Park, a ballpark designed specifically for special needs citizens, held a ribbon cutting after a successful two year fundraising campaign. WKOM WKRM's Delk Kennedy attended the ceremony and spoke with Miracle League leader Mike Ugla.
1: This is Delk Kennedy, Front Porch Radio. This morning I am at the Old Babe Ruth Park in Murray County Park, which is now going to be the Miracle League Park. This morning we had a ribbon cutting, which is, signifies uh, a change. Uh, in this project they're going from fundraising to actually talking about building the miracle league park i'm talking with mike ukla who has been involved with this
2: thing uh, from the get-go mike what's going on here today dale thanks um yes to your point we have been talking about this and executing on a a baseball field and all-inclusive mixed-use playground for you know that 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 is designed for uh, leagues with with kids and young adults with uh special needs to be able to contribute and play on an actual play the game of baseball and provide a playground where kids of all abilities are able to kind of um you know get 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 true play in and and exp, ex, see the differences where when you're young and when the culture scenario hits you it's all, all it is is about truth and being being with your friends and we're excited about moving from what you said a very successful fundraising campaign to now being in phase two which is the ribbon cutting today which signify us starting the process of really turning the designs and the vision into actual reality.
1: That's absolutely amazing. And I'm looking here at a rendering of the Miracle League Park. It shows a baseball field set up for people with special needs, children, even adults. I'm also looking at a a playground with the traditional type things you see, swings, seesaws, whatever, slides. But, again, all specially designed for children or even adults with special needs. Mike, this is
2: exciting. Uh, What happens next? So we're finally in the pr- situation where we've been working hard over the last couple months with architects, engineers, making sure that all the specifics that we've kind of incorporated in. When you're building something for obviously um, kids and young adults, you have a, there's a lot of ADA, there's a lot of you know red tape that you have to make sure you're you're preparing for. And um, so we're in the process right now of finalizing budgets, finalizing the from everything from you know how we're going to be doing the actual field layout to the playground specific equipment that does uh, allow for kids with all abilities to, to be able to make maintain and play and the next stages is to get that finalized and final plans uh, completed contractors selected and then we're off to the races there we go now i always know that you're going to need financial support as well as
1: volunteers uh for more information about the miracle league park here in columbia
2: or to contribute or to volunteer where do people go absolutely we've had um, we've had such good support the the murray county um, area and then surrounding counties have been so good to us but we this is a this is a venture not just to build it but to have it self-sustained and and on for generations to come so the easiest way because we are still definitely in need of of donations or any volunteers uh, columbiamiracleleague.com is our website obviously all of our social media handles are there uh, but yes please reach out to us or go to columbiamiracleleague.com to learn more information and reach out and see if there's a way you want to be involved
1: All right. Absolutely amazing. Again, Del Kennedy, Front Porch Radio. I'm speaking with Mike Ugla. I'm at the uh, Old Bay Ruth uh, Ballpark here in Murray County Park, which is now going to be the Miracle League Park and Playground. And the ribbon has been cut. Congratulations, Mike. Thanks a lot, Del. Thank you.
0: The Murray County Budget Committee unanimously approved $75,000 to hire a lobbyist to fight for a bill that would generate funds from new construction to support growth in Murray County and other fast-growing counties in Tennessee. The full commission will consider the funding at its next regular meeting. Elected county officials are laying groundwork to support the bill that would amend the existing County Powers Relief Act passed in 2006, which could help growing counties statewide to secure more funds from new construction. The proposed amendment would allow high-growth counties like Murray and others which qualified to enforce a new adequate facilities tax at $3 per square foot of new development, an increase from the existing $1 per square foot to solely apply toward school capital expenses such as new school buildings and maintenance costs. This is a statewide bill that a high-growth county can use as a tool to help alleviate costs, Representative Scott Sepicki said. This would help counties like Haywood County with the imminent Blue Oval City growth, for example. It's very difficult to pass a bill that's county-specific, but this amendment gives ability to other counties to adopt it when they qualify to implement it, he said. According to a 2007 Attorney General's Office opinion, the existing County Powers Relief Act strives to generate revenue for school capital for counties through adequate facilities tax based on growth criteria and other stipulations. If passed, once a county hits a certain growth criteria, that county could begin to enact the bill. The Act says also that no county shall be authorized to enact an impact fee on development or a local real estate transfer tax by private or public act a stipulation that Murray County officials have said hinders its power to enforce any other impact-fee-driven legislation. Representative Sipiki sponsored a previous bill referred to as the Building Impact Fee Bill, along with Senator Joey Hensley, who sponsored its companion bill, which two versions failed twice in House committee over the past two legislative sessions in the 113th General Assembly. The newly proposed amendment is Murray County government's attempt to try to once again address funding for growth, primarily targeting ways to pay for school capital. School capital costs triggered a 31-cent property tax increase in 2022 in Murray County. Murray County Mayor Sheila Budd ran on a platform in 2022 vowing to secure funding to support growth in Murray County, the fastest growing county in Tennessee, according to the 2020 U.S. Census. Over the next several years, more than 15,000 new rooftops will be constructed across the county, which city and county leaders have cited during numerous public talks based on the number of new building permits issued in Columbia and Murray County. Leaders say that the growth will continue and believe the county should capture revenue to support that continued growth for the future. I never thought I'd sit here and support a lobbyist, Murray County Commissioner Gabe Howard of District 8 said. But after his experience supporting a bill last legislative session, expanding the Duck River scenic status, he said he realizes the need. There would have been no way for the Duck River bill to pass without a lobbyist and activist groups and Representative Sipiki's hard work, he said. It's the only way for Murray County to be represented. Mayor Bud agreed that a lobbyist could help secure bipartisan support for the imminent bill. The lobbyists are able to allow both sides to see the benefits of the bill, she said. Since the first of the year, Representative Zipicki has been meeting with the commission during special called May 3rd meeting and others in various other groups periodically to discuss the makeup of the draft bill, crafting it in a way that has the most potential for drawing bipartisan support for passage. The Murray County Commission summed up the purpose of pursuing state legislation in a previous 2022 resolution. Counties that are in high-growth areas, especially in certain parts of Tennessee, are at a disadvantage, and the cost of growth are being placed upon individual taxpayers rather than the development paying its fair share of the increased costs, the resolution states. Cities in the state of Tennessee are allowed to collect funds from developers that are related to growth and are allowed to have additional impact fees, but counties have been limited from doing so. This is still a very heavy lift. Sometimes you have to keep whacking away at it. This seems like something counties can get behind, Representative Sipicki said. The next session of the Tennessee General Assembly will convene on January 9th. Columbia State Community College's Office of Workforce and Continuing Education will launch a leadership development program designed to benefit new and emerging leaders to help them develop necessary skills and a toolkit of resources to help them excel as they move into and grow in their leadership roles. I am extremely proud to be bringing this program to our communities, said Melody Murphy, Columbia State Workforce and Continuing Education Director. With now hiring posted on almost every storefront, It is becoming harder for employers to find and keep good employees. This program is an excellent opportunity for a company to identify dedicated employees' value and hard work and build them up through this program for leadership and supervision roles, she said. The Columbia State Leadership for Operational Excellence Program nurtures success and provides participants with the skills and resources for them to excel as leaders within their organizations. Topics covered will include leadership styles, generations and teams, employee engagement and productivity, communication and leading your team, business finance and budgets, presentation skills and networking, as well as delivering outcomes and managing change. Many of us have seen firsthand how promoting internally for these positions based on performance can be problematic, because doing a job and leading others to do a job are very different things that require somewhat different skill sets, Murphy said. This program aims to give participants the necessary leadership skills to be successful leaders. Registration is now open for the program, which consists of eight full-day sessions with two full days conducted back-to-back. Participants should plan to attend all sessions, which will take place at Columbia State's Williamson Campus. The program begins in 2024 with the dates of January 11th and 12th, February 8th and 9th, March 7th and 8th, and April 11th and 12th. Cost is $2,995 with lunch and coffee provided. To register, visit www.campusce.net. For more information, please contact Melody Murphy at mmurphy 19 At ColumbiaState.edu. And now your hometown memorials, sponsored by Oaks and Nichols Funeral Home. Mr. William Royal Dixon, Sr., 88, retired maintenance supervisor for Monsanto, died Saturday, October 14th at his residence in Columbia. Funeral services for Mr. Dixon will be conducted on Wednesday at 2 p.m. at First Family Baptist. Burial will follow in Polk Memorial Gardens. The family will visit with friends on Wednesday from 11 p.m. until service time at the church. Oaks and Nichols Funeral Directors are assisting the family with arrangements. Mr. Patrick John P.J. Carson, 43, passed away at home on Friday, October 13th. Funeral services for Mr. Carson will be held on Wednesday at 6 p.m. at Oaks and Nichols Funeral Home. The family will visit with friends on Wednesday from 4 p.m. until service time at the funeral home. Mrs. Frankie Albright Church, 85, died Sunday, October 15th at Vanderbilt University Medical Center. Funeral services for Mrs. Church will be conducted on Friday, October 20th at 11 a.m. at Oaks and Nichols Funeral Home. Burial will follow in St. John's Cemetery. The family will visit with friends on Thursday from 5 to 7 p.m. at Oaks and Nichols Funeral Home. Mrs. Martha Kinzer Lord, 81, passed away October 12th after a long illness. A memorial service for Mrs. Lord will be conducted on Sunday, October 22nd at 3 p.m. at Williamsport United Methodist Church. Burial will follow in Williamsport Cemetery. The family will visit with friends on Sunday from 2 o'clock until the time of the service at the church. Oaks and Nichols Funeral Directors are assisting the family with arrangements. Hometown Memorials is sponsored by Oaks and Nichols Funeral Home. Serving with dignity and consideration for over 150 years. As years go by, people may tend to forget just what a funeral is really all about. At Oaks and Nichols, we believe it's first and always a special remembrance of someone you love. We start by listening to your needs and desires. If you're unsure, we can help, gently, professionally. At Oaks and
1: Nichols Funeral Directors, we haven't lost sight of why we're here, to serve Murray County families in the ways they prefer, and why your satisfaction is so important to Jeff
0: Hargrove and Susie Sowell.
2: There's a great deal of satisfaction in serving a family and serving them well. It's an eye for detail and thoughtfulness and taking the time to see that things are done right.
3: We do have nice facilities and good people, and we work hard to do things well, but we don't want that to intimidate people as to what they think it will cost. Taking care of you is our primary concern.
0: Oaks and Nichols Funeral Directors, 320 West 7th Street in Columbia. Since 1856, people you can rely on. For your southern middle Tennessee weather, we will have a mix of clouds and sun today with a high of around 65 degrees. Winds will be light and variable. Tonight, we can expect clear skies and a low of 41. Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll cover state and national news that affect you. You're listening to Southern Middle Tennessee Today.
2: Family first. (laughs) My dad used to tell us that all the time. But family first wasn't just something he'd say to us. It was how he lived every day of his life. And it's how I try to live mine, too. At Shelter Insurance...
4: Residential and commercial fencing, as well as pole barns and buildings. Call today for a free estimate. Sands Fence Company, 931 309 1644. 931 1644.
5: Don't put off getting your oil changed, Columbia. Take 5 is faster than you think. There's no appointment needed and no waiting room. Yep, you heard that correctly. Take 5 is so fast, you don't even have to get out of your car. Visit their newest location at 1203 South James Campbell Boulevard and take advantage of their $15 off grand opening special. That's right, $15 off any oil change, Columbia. Take 5 the stay in your car 10-minute oil change. They're faster than you think.
3: Your home is your biggest investment. Getting the most for it when it comes time to sell is important. At The Way Realty, we help you get more by providing all our clients with a full-service real estate company. At no extra cost to you, we help you prepare your house to look its best with home staging, landscaping, professional pictures, marketing on all the major websites, touch-up repairs, and home inspection repairs up to $700. Get more with The Way Realty by reaching out to us to see what we can do for you and to find out the market value of your home. Visit us today at thewayrealtytn.com. Call us at 931-580-4669 or stop by our showroom at 800 Hatcher Lane, Columbia, Tennessee.
0: Welcome back to Southern Middle Tennessee Today on WKOM 101.7 and WKRM 103.7. This program is sponsored in part by George Vralis and the great team at The Way Realty. I'm Tom Price. And now news from around the state. Nashville's booming tourism industry launched into a prosperous post-pandemic recovery that eclipsed all other major U.S. cities, according to a new national report on the health of America's urban cores. The study, authored by Philadelphia's Center City District, names Nashville as the most improved U.S. city since 2020 in terms of workers, residents, and visitors. The results of Downtown's Rebound, the data-driven path to recovery, were presented this month at the International Downtown Association's annual conference in Chicago. The 72-page report analyzes 26 downtowns, finding that most of the economies have not recovered to 2019 levels. Nashville, meanwhile, has achieved 100 percent recovery, returning Music City to 2019 economic levels. The study was undertaken to shed light on the best practices for metropolitan governments and local business organizations to improve the economy and community services in light of the staggering impacts of COVID-19 stay-at-home orders and mandatory business closures. The report provides a list of key areas to focus on for success, primarily maintaining a clean and safe atmosphere, a diversified mix of office, residential, and commercial uses, and the ability to repurpose empty old office buildings. In terms of overall recovery over the last three years, Nashville is followed by California cities, San Jose, and San Diego, U.S. cities that also enjoy popular hospitality sectors. Nashville, Memphis, San Antonio, Texas, and San Jose experienced the highest rate of jobs returning to downtown areas, but those jobs were most likely to be in-person and not conducive to remote work. San Antonio and Nashville took the top two spots, respectively, for the highest share of leisure and hospitality employment. Gas prices across Tennessee have now declined for four consecutive weeks. Over last week, Tennessee gas prices fell 10 cents on average. The Tennessee gas price average is now $3.14, which is 30 cents less expensive than one month ago and 24 cents less than one year ago. Here's some quick facts. 80% of Tennessee gas stations have prices below $3.25. Tennessee is currently the eighth least expensive market in the nation. Welcome back to Southern Middle Tennessee Today, and now our final story. While spooky attractions began to gain popularity with the opening of Madame Tussaud's Wax Museum in the 1880s with its Chamber of Horrors, according to History.com, the first place that had dim lights and disembodied wailing was opened in 1919 by a British amusement ride manufacturer. Early haunted houses were often created by neighborhoods to amuse the local kids when they became fundraisers for community nonprofits. It was not until the opening of Disney's Haunted Mansion in 1969 that anyone thought of them becoming a for-profit venture. Now they are part of the Halloween industry that brings in more than $12 billion per year. Here are a couple of local haunted attractions that are sure to give a rousing Halloween fright. They are both open through the end of October. The first is Miller's Thrillers, located at 1431 Carters Creek Pike in Columbia, They are a long-time favorite. It offers haunted woods, zombie hayrides, gaming areas, and a bonfire. Tickets start at $15. They're open Fridays and Saturdays through October 28th and October 31st. You can learn more at millersthrillers.net. The other is Creepy Hollow Haunted Woods, located at 2311 Joe Brown Road. They have three attractions, a zombie maze, and more. Tickets are $35 for all three attractions. They're open Fridays and Saturdays through October 31st and Halloween itself. Learn more at www.creepyhollowwoods.com. That's all for this edition of Southern Middle Tennessee Today on Kennedy Broadcasting, WKOM, WKRM Radio. I'll be back tomorrow to update you with the latest news. I'm Tom Price. Thanks for listening. Be safe and have a great day.